church. Now today, we're going to turn our attention to a couple of ladies, again, in the Old Testament uh, that is in the book of Ruth. And if you didn't bring your Bible, we'll, we'll, we'll be on the screen for you. But I feel like sometimes, here's what happens in our walk with the Lord every day. Uh, we, we forget sometimes that God isn't just limited to being this huge, magnificent, awesome, powerful God. Even though he is all of those things, I think sometimes we have this feeling that he is off in the distance and so powerful that we really can't be around him or can't have that relationship with him. And even though he's all of those things, he's more than that. He has the ability to understand us. He has the ability to know our problems. He has the ability to feel our hurts. He has, has been there. He put on human flesh, and so he knows how we feel. He's gone through all of the emotions and all of the temptations that we have gone through, yet the Bible says he was without sin. So he understands our problems, and he's a God who cares about ordinary people. And he uses ordinary, messed up people in everyday circumstances to accomplish his will. And so as we study this, uh, this sto story of Ruth and Naomi, I hope you'll learn some lessons that are going to deepen your appreciation of the people that God has placed in your life. Those people that matter the most to you. Because I feel like sometimes what we have a tendency to do, I know what I have a tendency to do sometimes, is to take for granted the people that mean the most to me, right? And, and so I want you to just think about that today as we open up God's Word and look at the book of Ruth. Beginning in chapter 1, verses 1 and 2, here's what it says. In the days when the judges ruled in Israel, a severe famine came upon the land. And so a man from Bethlehem in Judah left his home and went to live in the country of Moab, taking his wife and two sons with him. The man's name was Elimelech, and his wife was Naomi, and their two sons were Malon and Kilion. They were Ephrathites from Bethlehem in the land of Judah. And when they reached Moab, they settled there. So, so Naomi, her husband Elimelech, they make this big decision to move about 100 miles away to Moab. They, they move out of their comfort zone from their hometown to a new place because they're trying to escape the famine that's going on in the land. And it's, a, it's kind of a surprising move to Moab because if you know Israel's history, you know that the Israelites and the Moabites didn't really get along all that well. And so... Um, the famine happens in the land, and, and so they feel like they, they need to move out of the land to sur survive. And so not long after they get into the land of the Moabites, Elimelech dies. And so Naomi is left as a widow. Verse 4, it says, The two sons married Moabite women. One married a woman named Orpah, and the other a woman named Ruth. When Oprah Winfrey was born, her mother wanted to name her Orpah after this lady in the Bible, but she misspelled her name, and so she is known forever now as Oprah Winfrey. Can you imagine? Would it be? Does it just feel different if there if we had the Orpah channel? Wouldn't that just feel a little bit different? Uh, but that's the, it was a mistake, and so that's how we know her. And so here are these two sons. They married Ruth and Orpah, but then something terrible happened. Both of these sons-in-law died, or both of these sons died, right? And so we don't know what happened. don't know if there was a, a, an accident. don't know if there was a plague, but they're both gone. In this short amount of time, they're both gone. 
and, and maybe you've noticed this before, grief doesn't always distribute itself equally. Have you ever noticed that? There are some people that just seems to be beat up more than other people. There are some people who go throughout their whole lives without ever any bad anything happening to them. But there are some people, just one catastrophe after another. This is kind of where Naomi's at right here. She's lost her husband. Now she's lost her two sons. And she says, you know, this is a bitter pill to swallow. God's dealt me a hard a hard blow. I'm struggling with this. I've lost my husband. I've lost my two sons. And so Naomi decides she's going to move back to Bethlehem, hoping to recover, hoping to get a new start on her life. And the Bible commanded the Jewish people, you may remember this, not to intermarry with people of the surrounding nations. And Naomi must have wondered, you know, maybe God's punishing me because I didn't obey God. Maybe because I uh, violated God's instruction, maybe he's punishing me. I I don't think God works that way, but I'm sure that's going through her mind. And so Naomi's two daughters-in-law, Ruth and Orpah, they loved her so much, they said, we're going to go with you. We We want to follow you, right? And so the three of them headed out of town, and Naomi has second thoughts, and she said, listen, you daughters, you need to return home. And you need to understand, whenever she called them daughters, she used the Hebrew term for daughters, not daughter-in-law. She loved them so much like they were her very own daughters. And verse 11, it says, Naomi replied, why should you go on with me? She said, can I still give birth to other sons who could grow up and be your husbands? She basically said, listen, look, you're going to be foreigners in Judea. You both are still young. You two need to stay right here in Moab so that you can meet young men and you can remarry and you can build a life here. And I'm going to go back home. You stay or I'm going to go home, you go back to, to Moab. Well, Orpah w- wept, but she agreed to go ahead and, and go back. And so she kissed her mother-in-law goodbye, went back home. And we never read of her again, right? But Ruth refused. And she embraced Naomi. And she wouldn't let go. And Naomi said, look, your sister-in-law is going back home to live with her own people and with her gods. You go with her. But here's what the Bible says. Ruth replied, don't ask me to leave you and turn back. Wherever you go, I will go. Wherever you live, I will live. Your people will be my people and your God will be my God. Wherever you die, I will die. And there I will be buried. May the Lord punish me severely if I allow anything but death to separate us. Ladies, if you have daughters-in-law... Let me ask you, how would you like a daughter-in-law like that? Wouldn't that be awesome? You know? Many of you are familiar with that scripture. It's often read at weddings as a prayer for the bride and the groom. It's a great promise. But the original context was a commitment. Uh, It wasn't a commitment between a husband and wife, but a pledge between a mother-in-law and a daughter-in-law. And when you think about it, this is a very unlikely friendship. This is a very unlikely, strong, solid relationship. Think of how two... These two ladies are so different. They're from different nationalities. They're probably different dialects. They're probably, well, they're definitely different ages. They worship different gods. They are so different. But maybe the biggest barrier of all was that they were in-laws. And it's not often that a mother-in-law and a daughter-in-law get along like this. They're not often close friends. They're often rivals. A lot of times they're competing for the attention of the same man. How many of you ladies out there have ever felt like you have Marie Barone as a mother-in-law? You know who I'm talking about? Right? 
Everybody watch, you watch Everybody Loves Raymond, right? How, I, love, I love that show. You know, don't answer that in public in case your mother-in-law is sitting somewhere close or if she's watching online, right? Anyway, Naomi and Ruth, they had this incredible relationship. Huh? It, it's not anywhere close to Deborah and Marie from Everybody Loves Raymond. It's solid. It's good. And it proves the first point that great friends, great relationships can be formed even though there are differences. I think sometimes we look at people and we, don't, we refuse to go down a road of relationship or friendship with somebody because we conclude that they are so different than us. We don't have anything in common. There's no possible way I could ever be their friend. When we're teenagers, what do we do? We kind of huddle together with the people who have like interests, who are kind of like us. We have a lot in common. But as you mature, sometimes you can develop these close friendships with people that are very different than you. Maybe even removed a generation in age. Or maybe they have a different racial or social background or different hobbies or different interests. And we look at this story of Naomi and Ruth. What made them friends? It was more than just the fact that they were the same gender. It was more than just the fact that they were relatives. They experienced a mutual grief. You ever been in the trenches with someone? You know what I'm talking about? You ever gone through a difficult experience with someone? You ever noticed how that difficult experience with people draws you together, strengthens that relationship. I know of people who, who met in recovery programs that are so, so solid. I got to tell you, this last Friday, I had the privilege of meeting with a young man who's incarcerated right now. He's serving a very long prison term. He's going to get out in 101 days now, 101 days. This is one of the most impressive young men I've ever met in my life. He was serving a 20-year sentence. So it's serious crime. He said he was a level four felon. And while in prison, the Lord got a hold of him. And he earned his PhD in theology while in prison in recovery. We're different. We're so different. But I can't wait for this guy to get out of prison because I think we're going to be pretty good friends. And it's amazing how when God's in the middle of a relationship, how things can, can change. I know of people who have been in combat together, right? Soldiers, they've been in combat together. Dave, I'm, gonna get, I'm looking at you as a police officer. I'm thinking, man, you've been in some situations with some guys that I bet you're pretty close with because of that. Maybe some of you have been through a tough loss in your life. Maybe the loss of a spouse or a good friend or maybe a child. And sometimes those tragedies can bring people together. That's what happened here with Naomi and Ruth. Their, their grief was so intense. But I think that helped develop that deep friendship that they had. And Ruth says to Naomi, I'm moving to Bethlehem with you. I don't care what you say about it. I'm going. And most estimate the population of Bethlehem to have been no more than about 200 people at the time. So I can imagine these two people are coming into Bethlehem. I'm sure the town was buzzing. People are whispering. They're looking and they're going, is that Naomi? Ooh, she hasn't aged well. She looks unhappy. She's, you know, she's not doing too well. And Naomi responded 
I am Naomi. You remember correctly. But don't call me Naomi because that name means pleasant one. And I'm not pleasant at all. In fact, I'm very bitter. I've had some hard blows in life. And I'm not dealing with it very well. I left here so full of life, but then a lot of things happened to me. And I come back to you. I got no husbands. I got no sons. All I've got is the clothes on my back. And so Naomi, the pleasant one, according to her name, she's not pleasant at all. And then there's another reason that's surprising uh, to me in this friendship. Most of us want friends who can lift our spirits, don't we? We, we like to be around people who, who can lift us up, who can build us up. Ruth is dealing with a Debbie Downer. You know what I'm talking about? Naomi is struggling here. One author called her a VDP. You know what a VDP is? It's a very draining person. Does anybody have a VDP in your life? You know, I'm talking about someone that just, they're a joy sucker. Have you ever heard of a joy sucker or a fun sucker? They just suck the joy. They suck the joy, uh, the life, the fun out of your life. Don't you just love being around someone like that? No, we don't. But here is Ruth. I think she's a special young woman. She's a new widow herself. She's going through all kinds of grief herself. But in the midst of her mother-in-law's grief, she stands by her side. By her own mother-in-law's admission, says, I'm a bitter old woman. Now, that's a special friend who will stand by you through those difficult situations. I hope you have a friend like that in your life. Proverbs 17, 17 says, a friend is, is always loyal and a brother is born to help in time of need. It, I like the way the message paraphrases it. Friends love through all kinds of weather and families stick together in all kinds of trouble. Shortly after they arrived in Bethlehem, Ruth announced to her mother-in-law, I'm going to go get a job. Ruth's a foreigner. She's ambitious. She's looking for work. She needs something to live on. She didn't really have any marketable skills. And so she started gleaning in a field. And she was following uh, the harvesters. And, and basically what that means is, he, here's what happened. The Old Testament commanded the Jewish people that when they went to harvest their grain don't go back a second time and pick up what you missed leave that there so that the less fortunate the poor people can come behind you and pick it up and have something to eat and so Ruth joined some other unemployed people walking behind the harvesters picking up the grain that was dropped it's kind of like have you ever seen somebody I don't know if it's done as much anymore it used to be done a lot uh, a lot more often I think but people who might walk along the roadside along the highway and they're picking up aluminum cans and they take the aluminum cans in and uh, to be recycled and they receive money for that that's kind of what this was like and so she's picking up the grain in a field and this field belonged to a guy by the name of Boaz and he's kind of, uh, uh, he's, he's kind, he is, and he's, he's a relative, he's the father-in-law, uh, and, and a relative of her father-in-law. She was not, <laughs> he, he was not her father-in-law. He's a relative of her father-in-law. That would have made this story even weirder. Uh, but anyway, the name Boaz means man of strength, man of, of standing. And, the, and, and I think, here's the deal, I don't think this was an accident. The Bible says if we trust in the Lord with all of our heart, he will direct our paths. And I think God directed Ruth to this particular field. And I, I don't know how you feel about that. I don't think God controls everything that we do. But I think sometimes he is nudging some things in place 
to get us going in the right direction. It kind of reminds me of, of this, this cat that was holding a baby kitten in its mouth and it's trying to dart across the busy intersection in downtown New York City and the cat would start to dart out into the street and it'd nearly get run over and then it would run back and then it would wait a little longer and it would try to go and then another car would come and then it would run back and then suddenly a police officer sees what's happening and he walks out and he stops traffic and the cat doesn't realize what the police officer has done but the cat sees that no cars are coming and so it makes it across the street to the other side and the cat had no idea that the police officer had done what he'd done. It was because of the authority of the police officer that the cat and its kitten was able to make it safely to the other side. I wonder how many times God has been like that police officer in our life. Where he's keeping things from happening to us. That would be harmful. That would be destructive. And we're oblivious to his involvement. We just keep going through life like, oh man, we're just so lucky. Maybe it was when you met your mate. You thought it was accidental, but it was providential. Like I talked about last week, I don't think it was an accident that I was asked to play left field for Eastside Christian Church in Brazil, Indiana. Maybe you weren't looking for a job, but you bumped into someone and said, hey, you ought to think about that, and boom, God opened the door. Boaz noticed this special young woman working in his field. Maybe he noticed her because she was a stranger. You know, again, the town's probably only about 200 people at that time. He looks out there and says, that woman doesn't look familiar. Hadn't seen her before. Maybe it was because uh, she was such a hard worker. He looked out there saw how hard she was working, so he noticed how hard she was, was working, and maybe that was it. I suspect the reason that he noticed Ruth is the same reason that most men noticed women. She was smart. No, that's not it at all. He looks out there and he's like, man, who, who is that? I think he's attracted to her, right? Caught his eye. Ruth 2, 8, and 9, Boaz went over and said to Ruth, listen, my daughter, stay right here with us. When you gather grain, don't go to any other field. Stay right behind the young women working in my field. See which part of the field they're harvesting and then follow them. I've warned the young men not to treat you roughly. And when you are thirsty, help yourself to the water they've drawn from the well. And here's what happens then. Ruth falls to her knees and asks Boaz, why are you being so kind to me? I'm a foreigner. Why are you being so nice? And Boaz said, well, I've noticed how kind you've been to my relative, Naomi. Ruth was impressed with Boaz. Oh, sir, such grace, such kindness. I don't deserve it. You've touched my heart. You've treated me like one of your own. And here's what it says in verses 14 and 16. At mealtime, Boaz called to her, come over here. Help yourself to some food. You can dip your bread in the sour wine. And so she sat with the harvesters, and Boaz gave her some roasted grain to eat. And she ate all she wanted and still had some left over. When Ruth went back to work again, Boaz ordered his young men, let her gather grain right among the sheaves without stopping her, and pull out some heads of barley from the bundles and drop them on purpose for her. Let her pick them up and don't give her a hard time. And so that night, Ruth goes home with this big old doggy bag full of grain. She's got so much, and it excites her mother-in-law and everything that has happened. Naomi's like, she's finally starting to perk up a little bit because she sees what is, is happening here. She's not stupid. Naomi's pretty wise. Even though she's bitter, she's still pretty smart. She realizes what's going on here. She knows Boaz has fallen for Ruth. 
right? He's not just being a nice guy. She knows him well enough to know that something's going on here. But here's the cool thing about this. Naomi could have felt threatened, right? She could have been thinking, all right, here, this bitter old lady who's had all of this stuff happen in her life, if Ruth falls for a guy and gets married and maybe moves away or does something different, then I'm going to be all alone again, right? No, she encourages it. And that's another important lesson. Great friends sometimes, sometimes need space in order to flourish. Anybody ever been smothered by someone? Had a friend that just, just like, dude, you need, to, you, need to give me, you need to give me some space. Real friends are not leeches. Real friends do not demand all of your attention. True friends rejoice when good things happen to you, even if they aren't at the center of it all. Naomi wasn't like that. Verse 22 says, good, Naomi exclaimed. Do as he said, my daughter, stay with his young men right through the whole harvest. You might be harassed in other fields, but you'll be safe with him. And then in the third chapter, I'm going to skip around a little bit for time's sake because there's a lot to cover in these four chapters. In the third chapter, Naomi plays Cupid for Ruth and Boaz. This is getting kind of good. She plays matchmaker. You know, it doesn't really say that, but that's what's going on here. Here's what it says in verse 1, chapter 3. One day Naomi said to Ruth, My daughter, it's time that I found a permanent home for you so that you will be provided for. So Naomi decides Ruth and Boaz need a little push. <laughs> you know, you guys, listen, it's obvious you guys like each other. I'm going to help you out here a little bit, right? And so here's Boaz. You know, he's kind of this middle-aged, unmarried dude. And Ruth is this foreigner. She's a little naive, and so she says they need some help. And what impresses me about this is that Naomi thinks Boaz is a good match. Usually, no one is ever good enough for your kid. Anybody ever struggle with that, you know? Anybody ever hear someone say, well, that's not the person I would have chosen for him. That's certainly not the person I would have chosen. Ruth is, uh, uh, Naomi's saying, this, this is perfect. This is absolutely perfect. And so Ruth gets some counsel from Naomi on how to get Boaz to take the next step, right? So here's, this is the advice she gives. Do as I tell you. Take a bath and put on perfume. That's a good start. I don't know how often they bathed back then, but it wasn't as often as we do, I know. So uh, put on some perfume, dress in your nicest clothes, then go to the threshing floor, but don't let Boaz see you until he has finished eating and drinking. Be sure to notice where he lies down, and then go and uncover his feet and lie down there, and he will tell you what to do. I will do everything you say, Ruth replied, and you're probably sitting there going, whoa, this, this is like turning PG-13 in a hurry, right? That's in the Bible. Sounds awfully forward, sounds awfully risque. But if you understand the culture, you understand that what Ruth is doing here is she's saying, I want to marry you. I'm proposing marriage. And there was nothing immoral that happened that night. And the NIV Bible study even says, although Naomi's instructions may appear forward, the moral integrity of Naomi and Ruth were never questioned. And in Ruth chapter 3, verse 11, Boaz says this, all my fellow townsmen know that you are a woman of noble character. Some of you may know that the Bible had instructed the Israelites that if a husband died and left no children, the husband's brother or closest relative was to marry her 
and have children by her so that the brother's name could be carried on. Can I get an amen that that has changed? Amen. Okay. And so the next of kin was then called the kinsman redeemer. We talked about that a few weeks ago during our redeemer series or a family redeemer is how some translations say it. And so the kinsman redeemer was responsible basically for buying back any family member even that was sold into slavery. And so Naomi's advice to Ruth, okay, um, don't, don't invite um, intimate relations, but invite him to take you as his bride. And Ruth told Naomi, I'll do whatever you say. And when she did, she was proposing marriage to the kinsman redeemer. Now here's the third lesson. Great friends value wise counsel and advice from one another. Sometimes you have an important decision to make. You don't know what to do. But if you step back and talk to your friends, they might be able to see it from a distance that you can't see it from. They see it more objectively, right? I mean, I don't mean we should do everything that our friends suggest us do. If, if we'd done that, I, I probably would be in jail right now, uh, and some of you as well. We don't do everything that our friends suggest that we do down through the years. But if you've got several good, close friends who are telling you to do the same thing over and over and over again, it's the same thing, and several people are telling you, you might want to take an, a listen to that. If your friends, your closest friends are saying, don't marry him, don't get involved with that owner of that business, he's not trustworthy, quit going there, give it some time, you need to apologize and go back, forgive her, don't bring it up again, don't ignore that. If you're hearing it from a lot of different people, here's what the Bible says in Proverbs 15, 22. Plans go wrong for a lack of advice. Many advisors bring success. There's something to be said about wise counsel. Ruth did exactly what Naomi had advised. Boaz celebrated with the harvest, had a good time. He goes to bed that night. Ruth quietly laid down. Signaled her availability for marriage. And in verses 8 through 10, around midnight, Boaz suddenly woke up, turned over. He was surprised to find a woman lying at his feet. Who are you, he asked. I'm your servant, Ruth, she replied. Spread the corner of your covering over me, for you are my family redeemer. You are my kinsman redeemer. The Lord bless you, my daughter, Boaz exclaimed. You're showing even more family loyalty now than you did before. He noticed how loyal she was to Naomi. He, that's what impressed him early on. And now he's saying, you're, you're even more loyal. For you've, gone, you've not gone after a younger man, whether rich or poor. You, you stayed loyal. There's a, there's a whole lot more to this story. I encourage you to read it. Again, for time's sake, I'm going to skip ahead to chapter 4. Ruth, Ruth 4, 7 reports that in those days for the redemption and the transfer of property or relationships to become final, one party took off his sandal and gave it to the other. That was the method of legalizing transactions in Israel. Boaz couldn't get his shoe off fast enough. He made it official. 
The end of the book reads like a fairy tale, Ruth 4.13. So Boaz took Ruth into his home and she became his wife. And when he slept with her, the Lord enabled her to become pregnant. She gave birth to a son. And the Bible says this, weeping may remain for the night, but joy comes when? In the morning. Ruth is rejoicing. She's got a loving husband. She's got a healthy child. She's got solid security. And no one was happier for her than her mother-in-law, Naomi. Verses 14 and 15 say this. Then the women of the town said to Naomi, Praise the Lord who has now provided a redeemer for your family. May this child be famous in Israel. May he restore your youth and care for you in your old age. For he is the son of your daughter-in-law who loves you and has been better to you than seven sons. That's a pretty big deal. Here's the final lesson. Naomi had wept with Ruth in her grief. And now she rejoices with her in her celebration. And one of the true, one of the, the true indicators of a friendship. Can you rejoice with those who rejoice? If you're struggling and you're poor and you don't know where your next meal is coming from or you're living paycheck to paycheck and your friend strikes it rich, you're going to resent that? Or you're going to be happy for it? If your friend gets engaged and you're still single, if your child is brilliant and your or their child is brilliant and your child has some learning disabilities, are you going to rejoice with them? Naomi rejoiced with Ruth's marriage and children, even though she was widowed and childless. That's amazing to me. And God blessed her. Look at Ruth 4, 16, 17. Naomi took the baby. Cuddled him to her breast, and she cared for him as if he were her own. The neighbor women said, now at last, Naomi has a son again. And they named him Obed. He became the father of Jesse, the grandfather of David. Wow. Isn't that amazing? The whole story, this incredible story, is an illustration of God's amazing grace from Ruth who was from Moab to, to end up where she was at in this situation. Do you know the origin of these despised people? Do you know why the Israelites hated the Moabites so much? Genesis 19 reports that when Lot left Sodom, when he fled for his life, his, it gets PG-13 again here real quick. His two daughters got their dad drunk, slept with him, and became pregnant by their father. Did y'all know that was in the Bible? <laughs> um, and one of the sons of this incestuous relationship was named Moab. Remember the Moabites. That's him. That's where they come from. This is where Ruth comes from. So not only did we have Rahab in the lineage of Jesus who did what she did. We've now got Ruth who's a Moabite. Descendants of that incestuous relationship, but from that comes Jesus. You know what that tells me? It tells me it doesn't matter who you are. It doesn't matter where you come from. It doesn't matter what you've done. 
God invites you to be a part of his kingdom. Jesus Christ, the true man of strength, the, two, the true man of standing, came as your kinsman redeemer to redeem you to the Father, regardless of your history. And as our worship team comes here today, you need to understand God loved you enough to send his son. He purchased you with his blood. He became your kinsman redeemer that day on Calvary. And he's waiting for your response to this magnificent offer. I don't know, maybe some of you want to be like Cheryl. I see Cheryl sitting back there this morning. I'm not going to embarrass her, but... um, I got to talk to Cheryl this last Tuesday morning, and she wanted to give her life to Christ and be baptized, and I baptized her into Christ Tuesday afternoon. What an incredible, incredible thing. Maybe some of you want to do that. Maybe some of you, you just kind of, again, playing the game. Wash, rinse, repeat. And maybe some of you need to be a little more loyal like Ruth was to Naomi, to your Savior. Maybe you need to repent of some things that's going on. Now's a great time to do that. I'm going to ask you to stand with me. And and if you're here today and and you need prayer, uh, we encourage you to come. We'd love to pray with you. If you'd like to make a decision, a public decision to follow Christ. We encourage you to come. If you'd like to become a part of our family of believers, if you'd like to confess Jesus and come into our church family, we'd love to have you as a a member of our church. Whatever it is that the Lord might be laying on your heart today, we, we just ask you to come. Let's pray together.